Bonjour et bienvenue to this week's de debrief. Uh, je suis Angus Scott. Uh, yes, there's a decidedly French feel to the show this week as we discuss the future of Kylian Mbappe, the player that is undoubtedly wanted by Tout Le Monde. But Tout Le Monde isn't going to get hold of PSG's priced asset. It seems the Galactico project at the Bernabeu is still alive and well. And the 25-year-old will be heading on Espagne during the summer and swapping Liga for La Liga, patisserie for paella, and fine wine for that cheap beer that only tastes good on a lad's holiday on the Costa. Our premier crew of the transfer world, Fabrizio Romano, will be here shortly with some inside news on Mbappe, Newcastle, Manchester United, and Roy Hodgson's replacement at Palace. Get well soon, Roy. Uh, but a big hello to Ben Jacobs, who's here as ever. Ben, hiya. Bonjour. That's about as far as my French will go, but I think JJ will be able to top that. He will He will put us into the shade, yes. Also, um, with that inside track on PSG and tout en France, it's John Le Gossip, a.k.a. CBS's Ligue 1 specialist, Jonathan Johnson. JJ, bonjour. Merci Ça va? beaucoup. Merci, merci, merci. Très gentil. No, very nice to, uh, very, very nice and very kind of you guys to be so accommodating in French for me. And uh, always a pleasure when uh, when I have these shows lined up. So very much looking forward to getting into it with you. Good, good. Well, it's a, he is a fascinating topic, uh, Kylian Mbappe. He is clearly the star player. I think every team in the world would have wanted Kylian Mbappe in it if he were to leave PSG. Now we know he is going to leave PSG for sure. And while the contracts aren't signed, uh, Real Madrid is the is the target for him. Why do you think, JJ, that, that he's ended up uh, at Real Madrid? What's the attraction for him? And, and do you feel that has always been the case that after he's done the PSG project, he's, he's going to Real Madrid because that, that was his sort of boyhood um, feeling that that's where he wanted to end up? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this is very much sort of the next step in what's been a meticulously planned out career. Uh, you know, it was just a question of time. It wasn't sort of if Mbappe would ever play for Real, it was always when, uh, you know, and it's no surprise, uh, you know, that it's sort of come now really, because I think Mbappe and many sort of people around him feel like he's almost maxed out everything that he can possibly achieve with PSG, with the obvious exception of sort of PSG potentially making a more serious fist of uh, Champions League contention. Uh, and that could still happen, uh, you know, with the remainder of this season. You look at the way that PSG is set up at the moment, very comfortable in Ligue 1, going well in the Coupe de France, but also, uh, you know, have taken a, an important option on heading into the second leg of their round of 16 clash with Real Sociedad in the Champions League. So, you know, as much as I'm sure Mbappe would love, uh, you know, is relishing the prospect of potentially walking away, having won everything in his final season with PSG, it is going to be very difficult. But I think it's, you know, it kind of feels like it's sort of now or never. And perhaps, uh, you know, in a way, the kind of pressure coming off, uh, knowing sort of the, that this will be Mbappe's, you know, last dance with with PSG, so to speak, might actually, you know, sort of galvanise the, the the team uh, you know, to, to sort of raise their game, uh, you know, and for it to not just be Mbappe uh, and, a, you know, sort of 10 other teammates trying to lead PSG to, to continental success. So for the moment, I think there is definitely uh, an element of, you know, Mbappe having felt like, you know, if he didn't go to Real Madrid now, you know, when would be sort of the next available opportunity or best opportunity? Uh, you know, and I think it uh, just sort of felt like it all kind of fell into place uh, with the opportunity to opt out of the final year of that contract with uh, with, with PSG. Uh, and the feeling as well in Paris has not necessarily been one that's always been the most optimistic regarding keeping Mbappe beyond the end of this season. Obviously, there was hope, uh, you know, up until it was finally... Uh, directly communicated by Mbappe to uh, PSG chairman and CEO Nasser Al-Halafi. But it's, uh, you know, it, it's done now. PSG and Mbappe themselves have clarity. All parties can move forward, as has been stressed before, uh, you know, notably in recent months as well. All parties are protected because of the agreement that was reached uh, between Mbappe and PSG uh, months ago. So, you know, now the, uh, the question is just how do Mbappe and PSG finish their time together, uh, you know, and sort of obviously 
in what kind of capacity do, does Mbappe arrive at Real Madrid? Because we've discussed it before as well, his desire to play not only in the Euros, but also at the Olympics this summer. So there's still a long way to go in determining sort of, uh, you know, how uh, Mbappe sort of, you know, finally arrives uh, at Real. But if the latest rumours are to be believed, pen has been put to paper. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're very close now, obviously, to some sort of official announcement at some point in the in the future. Uh, where it just confirms what we've known for for some time, really. Yeah, Fabrizio's got something to say on this in in just a moment, no doubt. Um, all organised by his mum. I wish my mum had sorted out my <laughs> career in quite the way she that, that she's sorted uh, Kylian Mbappe's out. That would be extraordinary. Look, Ben, what are the terms of this? Uh, you've um, you know been monitoring this all the way along, and it, it got very confusing. Um, and you mentioned there, JJ, look, that everyone has been protected. How has everyone been protected? How can that happen? And, and what's Mbappe had to, to give or say so that PSG themselves are protected? Well, first of all, I think we have to go back to the summer where PSG were really irked by the possibility that Kylian Mbappe had kind of agreed something in secret with Real Madrid, got a massive sign-on fee of 130 million euros, and they risked the possibility of losing him on a free transfer. And then that resulted in Mbappe being excluded from the tour of Southeast Asia. Since then, Mbappe and Nasser Al-Khalifi held talks, cleared the air, and what Mbappe did was commit to a binding financial agreement whereby he waives bonuses, including his loyalty won, and PSG get a ballpark figure of 70 to 80 million euros if he leaves on a free transfer. And that means they're now covered under every eventuality. But the exit terms still need to be agreed. So phase one, Mbappe has to 100% determine he's going to Real Madrid. I don't think anyone is suggesting he won't, but there's still several things to iron out, such as start date, is he going to play at the Olympics and the overall package, including the wage, which is lower than the offer in 2022 and the sign-on fee. Once that's all done, Mbappe will circle back to PSG and exit terms will be determined. And that may even happen concurrent to negotiating with Real Madrid. So option number one, the simplest one, is PSG are covered because Kylian Mbappe joins Real Madrid on a free transfer and he waives the money that I've mentioned and then they reinvest that and they save about 200 million gross off their wage bill, and they can also put that towards their summer budget. Option number two is that Kylian Mbappe actually pays PSG a portion of, or even all of, the sign-on fee that he gets from Real Madrid. So he's effectively financing his move. And that sounds very altruistic, but maybe for Mbappe, the numbers add up. Option number three, it gets even more complicated. And here's why I suggested concurrent exit term negotiations with PSG and negotiating with Real Madrid is Mbappe could, hypothetically, it's probably the least likely of the options, extend at PSG in order to be sold. Now, why would he do that? Because by extending at PSG, he would get back his loyalty bonus. He would get a higher wage between now and the end of the season and maybe make more money that way through the loyalty bonus and the wage than taking a sign-on fee from Real Madrid. And then it would all just depend whether the maths also added up from PSG's perspective. So it's complicated, but under every scenario, the most unlikely him extending to be sold and the most likely him leaving on a free transfer, all parties will benefit financially. And that's why PSG are calm about the situation. That's really interesting. Um, JJ, do you feel that actually the the, the winner here is is Nasser Al Khalifi because ultimately Mbappe could have left for nothing. Uh, he could have just not extended his contract, but because he had this extra year anyway. And actually, Nasser has ended up getting seventy or eighty million pounds back that he wouldn't necessarily have got because Mbappe could have left, um, could have taken his bonus and could have had a big signing on fee from from Real Madrid as well. So actually, he's got the the least worse option out of losing what is clearly a key player for his club. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you have to look at it for PSG as a whole. Uh, you know, PSG have gone from potentially losing massively, uh, you know, to to not losing as sort of as badly as it looked, uh, you know, would probably be the case, uh, you know, back in the summer. Uh, you know, as you rightly mentioned, you know, there is the the financial aspect and, and you know, sort of cushioning the the financial blow, uh, you know, substantially uh, is, is a big win, given how sort of PSG left themselves over a barrel, really. For, for want of a better phrase, um, given that, you know, Mbappe had the power, uh, you know, with that final year of the contract to, to opt out uh, and immediately sort of put the ball in his own court very firmly, uh, you know, by opting for, the, for that. And then, you know, that really sort of caught PSG unaware. So, yes, there has been uh, sort of a very sort of impressive recovery job done, uh, you know, by PSG in, uh, in, in those terms. Uh, but also, you know, I think as well, something that has to be flagged up as well is the PSG have also done a very good job of sort of already preparing themselves for the sort of after Mbappe era, the post Mbappe era, um, you know, because of the squad that's been assembled currently. If you took Mbappe out of that for suspension or injury or whatever, it's still, uh, you know, a team that is capable of, uh, of competing. You know, you look at the attacking options, PSG are much better stocked than when they, uh, than how they were when they, were thrust into that situation when Mbappe opted out uh, of the final year of, uh, of his contract. So I think PSG now can approach the, the situation, uh, you know, with much more positivity than they than they would have done sort of six months or so ago. But equally at the same time, it is still a blow, you know, to lose a player of Kylian Mbappe's caliber. Yes, of course, as well, sort of his big, uh, you know, sort of personality and character and sort of everything else that comes with it as well, you know, because we're not just talking about a football player here, we're talking about a brand as well. Uh, but, uh, you know, ultimately, I think, you know, PSG will feel more satisfied now with the way that things are going than sort of they did just as the new season was getting underway. Uh, and they felt very much like, uh, you know, they'd been sort of, you know, betrayed, uh, you know, and sort of things had gone on behind their back that they were caught unaware by. Uh, both of you, th this question, is there any way that somebody could come in and, and scupper a, a deal for Mbappe going from um, uh, Paris to Madrid? In the, You know, I read in the last uh, um, couple of days the possibility that Man City have spoken to representatives or, should we say, Mbappe's mum. Um, but uh, whether this is just spurious talk and and it's all rubber stamped and it will happen, but could anyone else t tip their uh, toe in the water and actually snatch him in a, what will be a, a, a coup de grace? <laughs> My answer is very short, no, but don't be surprised if you read yes, because until Mbappe's got everything he wants, we're going to get smoke and mirrors. And this is why I think a lot of stories are out there that there's Premier League interest or there's a massive Saudi offer. This helps the Mbappe camp get exactly what they need on their own timescale, financially, but also beyond that. And remember, the Real pitch is not just about money. It's about kudos and glamour and personal development of brand. So the more Mbappe has to get everything he wants whether that is money, sign-on fee, image rights, flexibility, other business interests, and so on, these things can come by generating interest. And at every juncture in any Mbappe saga going all the way back to his renewal at PSG, there's been games from all parties, really. It's played out very politically, hasn't it, JJ? And this is why I think we're going to constantly hear about twists and other Mbappe interest. It was fascinating, wasn't it, in January on the day that some media said Mbappe had signed at Real Madrid, which wasn't correct at that time. We also heard that he was put off by the Real offer. He was still considering signing at PSG and some were reporting that there was Premier League interest. And I think that sums it up. Mbappe is somehow able to use the media to deflect and get everything he wants in terms of leverage even though, to me anyway, I think, JJ, this is very simple. Mbappe will join Real Madrid and there's nothing any other suitor can do. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, and sort of if I was to, to sort of add or to develop on uh, on what Ben said, I think the closest that we really could have come to seeing Mbappe swayed to go somewhere else other than Real Madrid, I think the strongest 
chance for that was probably Liverpool, whose interest in Mbappe was long-standing for a significant period of time. But sort of the last couple of years, uh, you know, obviously the failure to, to qualify for the Champions League this season, but then also the current situation where you know Jurgen Klopp's leaving, there's going to need to be a massive change uh, in, uh, you know, how the club is structured behind the scenes. I think that was really sort of the biggest and strongest opportunity that the Premier League had uh, of bringing Kylian Mbappe in at this stage of his career. But really, brutally, honestly, uh, you know, Real Madrid have had such an advantage, uh, you know, over any competitor for his signature. Like I said earlier, it's just been a question of when, not if, uh, you know, Kylian Mbappe leaves PSG for for Real Madrid. And, uh, you know, obviously we're now, uh, you know, close to, to that finally happening. But uh, like Ben said, you know, you have to recognise that uh, Mbappe and those around him have learned how to manipulate and, and sort of play, uh, you know, different parties via the media extremely well over the last couple of years. And the one thing that I would say is I don't think that that ends when he signs for Real Madrid. I think it's only going to get sort of it's going to become an even bigger and more well-oiled operation in the future. Okay, we'll discuss a bit more about this in just a few minutes, predicting Mbappe's path forward. But let's get the thoughts of Fabrizio Romano, our transfer guru. We caught up with him just a little bit earlier. Fabrizio, thanks as ever for joining us. Um, let's start with Kylian Mbappe. That's what we're talking about today. We know he's leaving PSG, but is anything signed with Real Madrid yet? No, from what I'm hearing, not yet. We still have to wait for that formal step. Uh, I really think this time uh, is the end of the saga, and so it's really a formal step that will happen soon. So this is the feeling of all the people involved in this story and in the industry, but is not formally signed yet. Also because Paris Saint-Germain will receive a formal communication from Kylian Mbappé as soon as he signs the documents, and at the moment PSG have not received this communication, and in that moment Paris Saint-Germain will announce that Kylian Mbappé leaves the club as a, as a free agent. We know he already communicated to Nasser Al-Khelaifi, he's going to leave the club at the end of the season, but all the formal steps will follow as soon as he signs the contract, so we have to wait for that step, but I can confirm that Kylian Mbappé, his mother, his lawyers already have the contract proposal into his hands from, from Real Madrid. They are working on that, so it really looks like a matter of time. So when did he decide that he wanted to, to leave PSG and, and what are the reasons why he's going? I would say around November, December, the decision was made. The feeling of people close to Mbappé is that already last summer uh, something was broken between Mbappé and, and Paris Saint-Germain. We remember that in July the situation was really complicated. The player was not travelling for pre-season, so it was already a very tense situation. Then Nasser Al-Khelaifi and Mbappé were able to fix the situation to continue together for this season. But around November, December, Mbappé made... Uh, his decision to to leave the club. Then in January, he decided to take some time also to communicate with his uh, with his camp, uh, with other people involved in this story, and then to inform Nasser Al-Khelaifi in, uh, in February. And I, I think he decides to leave because it's time for him to try something different. He was already very tempted two years ago. Uh, we know that he was close to joining Real Madrid, but also in that case, he never signed anything. So that's why Paris Saint-Germain were able to change the story in the final hours of the of the saga. But now he felt that it's time to try something different. New league, new city, uh, new project, new club. This is why Kylian Mbappé really wants to feel something different after spending a long time at Paris Saint-Germain. And who might PSG be looking at now as a replacement? Because clearly the Galactico era seems to be over. So what sort of target have uh, PSG got? I think it's going to be a different kind of plan. So not only replacing Kylian Mbappé, but going to sign, I think, from what I'm hearing, at least three important players for present and future of Paris Saint-Germain. So I expect them to sign a replacement for Kylian Mbappé. Uh, let's see if it's going to be a winger or if they want to go for a centre-forward. But for sure, they want to sign an important offensive player. And I think the names we are hearing, like Victor Rosiman, Rafa Leao, these are all players appreciated by Paris Saint-Germain. The specific case of these two players, already signed by Luis Campos when he was the director at Lille. So he knows the players so well and their representatives. So the relationship is very good with both of them. And I think they can be two candidates. But PSG, from what I'm hearing, have still not decided who is the player they want to sign in that position. So Leao and Dosiman can be two, two candidates for a for sure, but there could be others in, uh, in the list. Then an important midfielder. PSG already wanted Bernardo Silva one year ago. Let's see if they return on Bernardo. In January, they tried to ask about the situation of Bruno Guimaraes, but it was impossible to make the deal happen with, uh, with Newcastle. But in the summer, there will be the release close, 100 million pounds. And so an interesting one to follow for Paris Saint-Germain, also the midfielder, because they will sign a top midfielder, 
And then an important centre-back. Lenny Giroud from Lille remains the top target, a player they already wanted in January, and they expect Paris Saint-Germain to return for Giroud. It's not going to be easy because Real Madrid are also interested, clubs in England, so Giroud is in the list of many, many important clubs, but they want to sign an important centre-back, and I think it's going to be a very busy summer at Paris Saint-Germain. Let's move on to Manchester United. Probably a busy summer there as well. Dan Ashworth is expected to join as sporting director after informing Newcastle yesterday that he wants to leave and has now already been placed on gardening leave. Do you expect an agreement to be wrapped up this week? I think it's a possibility. It's not going to be easy because, as we know, Newcastle are going to be tough in this negotiation with with Manchester United. And I think it's something that can be respected uh, if you want to sign an important director like Dan Ashworth. It's something that makes part of the of the game to to negotiate. The negotiation will start this week between May United and Newcastle. From what I'm hearing, May United will do their best to have Dan Ashworth already available for the summer transfer window. So. Right now, these months, they want to plan the summer transfer window with Dan Ashworth. They really want to make it happen. So it's not going to be an easy negotiation in terms of money, but I'm sure that Ineos will try. Ineos will try because they believe that Dan Ashworth is crucial to start this project. It's the same feeling also for Omar Berrada, who wants to start this project with Dan Ashworth. So I'm sure that the negotiation is not going to be easy, but it's going to take place because Man United will try their best. Another talented recruitment lead, Sam Jewell, could be on the move from Brighton. If he chooses to depart, is Chelsea or Manchester United the most likely destination? Yeah, at the moment, from what I'm hearing, this is not something decided yet. Also because Brighton are still having a conversation with him to convince him to stay at the club. We know Brighton style. They are not desperate to keep people at the club. They're always very good at replacing them when they decide to leave. But also in this case, they want to have a conversation to understand what's the, the situation for uh, for Sam and then to, to proceed with final decision. So at the moment, it's still open with Chelsea, with May United. It's true that there is interest. For May United, we also have to add the name of Jason Wilcox, who is doing a very good job at Southampton, former Manchester City academy uh he did an excellent job also there so may united are considering different options so let's see what sam decides to do but for sure he will have a conversation with brighton in the next days to understand the next the next steps let's get back into europe and, and bayern have lost to leverkusen lazio and bochum recently is is thomas tuchel's job safe at the moment, yes. I would say short-term, yes, for this week, because at the moment Bayern are still having internal discussions. This is the reality. But the reaction yesterday after the game uh, into the board was, OK, we want to continue with Thomas Tuchel. This was both public and private. The CEO, Dresen, mentioned that after the game, but also in the private conversations, Bayern were really convinced to continue with, uh, with Thomas Tuchel but they are not happy with the situation. This is why the internal discussion continue involving Thomas Tuchel and members of the coaching staff to try to understand how to fix the situation. I think short-term, the situation is still safe, but long-term, I don't think so. I think that Bayern will keep having conversations in the next days and weeks to understand how to fix the situation with Thomas Tuchel and then potentially at the end of the season, exploring other options for a new head coach because Bayern are not happy at all with the situation and Tuchel knows that. Well, not surprisingly, they're you know eight points adrift. I think it is of um, Bayer Leverkusen and Javier Alonso's side at the top of the table. Is there, with that in mind, is there any update on Liverpool's search for a new manager, and could they escalate their pursuit for Alonso, um, given that Bayern may be looking for a new boss imminently or or in the summer? Yeah, I think Liverpool remain very interested in Xabi Alonso. They keep having contacts. They also want to be respectful because, you know, it's a really important season for Bayer Leverkusen in Europe and obviously in, in Bundesliga. So they don't want to disturb or create any problem to Bayer Leverkusen. But it's 100% confirmed that Liverpool want to go for Xabi Alonso. He's not the only name they have on the shortlist, but they already know everything about the contract situation of Xabi Alonso. There is not a proper close into the contract of Xabi Alonso and Bayer Leverkusen, but there is kind of gentleman agreement with the club. Liverpool are well informed on the situation, but they know it's really important moment for Bayer Leverkusen. So this is why I'm not sure the timing is going to be that imminent for Liverpool to proceed with these talks with, uh, with Bayer Leverkusen for Xabi Alonso, but I'm sure that he remains top of the top of the list at Liverpool. Not the only one, but for sure a strong candidate for Liverpool job. Let's turn our attention to Arsenal now and two likely contract extensions, Takahiro Tomiyasu and Ben White. How close are each to extending? For Tomiyasu, from what I'm hearing, is done. 
So Tomiyasu is 100% extending his contract at, at Arsenal. It's just a matter of time to find the best moment to, to sign officially all the documents and then to communicate that Tomiyasu extended the contract, but everything is done. So 100% extending, and it's an important one for Arsenal because in the January transfer window, there was interest from Italian clubs. He did excellent in Italy when he was at Bologna and Arsenal signed him. So some important Italian club wanted to bring him back to Serie A, but for Arsenal, it was a strong no. Mikel Arteta is very happy with him and same for the club. So this is why they extended his contract. And for Ben White, the negotiation is very advanced. He's not done yet, but he's progressing very well, already seen October, November. It's a positive exchange because the player is happy at Arsenal. So I think it's going to be a matter of some weeks, maybe months, and then everything will be will be completed with both Ben White and Tommy Asus already done. And a final word, Fabrizio, on Crystal Palace. It's a, a difficult and sensitive situation with our friend uh, Roy Hodgson, sadly ill, and we wish uh, Roy a speedy recovery. But is your understanding still that um, Oliver Glasner has signed and when might he start at Selhurst Park? Yes, also the contracts were sent, counter signed yesterday night from what I'm hearing. So just waiting for the formal communication. Let's uh, let's wait for that, uh, that step. Obviously, I understand the situation is not easy for, for Crystal Palace, as you mentioned, because of the Roy Oxon situation. So as you mentioned, we wish him all the best. And I think there will be some formal communication from Crystal Palace today about that also to inform the fans on the manager situation. And then Oliver Glasner is in England. He was at the top 10 game already preparing for the next games as Crystal Palace coach so just waiting for that step and then everything will be official Fabrizio as ever it's great to talk to you we'll catch up with you again next week Fabrizio Romano joining us a little bit earlier uh, giving us uh, all the news from across Europe uh, one thing he touched on then the the Dan Ashworth a part to play that that he has in now presumably going over to Manchester United and joining the the Ineos gang and Sir Jim Radcliffe uh, over there. Or he has two years, I read, gardening leave, which is a hell of a hell of a gardening. He'll have a brilliant garden by that by that time <laughs> uh, if he completes all that. Um, but uh, just looking at the 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 template there, the the, the what is beginning to shape uh, take shape at Manchester United and at Old Trafford under under Ineos, and where that leaves. Nice, JJ, and, and how the two clubs owned by Ineos might function that you feel. Yeah, it's going to be a fascinating uh, next couple of months on the south, southern coast of France because you've not just got this situation playing out with Nice, you've also got the potential sales situations with Marseille and Monaco as well, which have gone up a notch in terms of uh, seriousness in the last 24 hours with Marseille having to part ways with Gennaro Gattuso, the coach. But bringing it back to Nice and uh, and the Ineos link, I think the thing that still surprises me most about the whole um, situation at Old Trafford, but also Allianz Riviera, is the involvement of Jean-Claude Blanc. Uh, with Manchester United. My feeling had always been that sort of once uh, Ratcliffe uh, and Ineos got their foot through the door at Old Trafford, that there would essentially be some sort of clear divide put up between Manchester United and Nice, given the way that Nice are performing this season, so that there's no sort of immediate uh, question marks over the group's ability to protect, to essentially sort of, you know, direct what's going on at both clubs, given that Nice look extremely likely at this moment in time to be playing in Europe. We've seen this situation play out a number of times, specific to French-owned clubs. You have Toulouse, uh, who are competing in Europe this season, uh, and they were owned uh, by Redbird Capital as well at one point, obviously owners of uh, Milan in Italy. Uh, and there, that situation got very um, murky and, uh, you know, there had to be clear uh, outlines as to who was on which board, uh, who had no affiliation with with other people. Uh, and I think that at some point there is going to have to be, a, you know, a clarification uh, regarding exactly who's involved and in which capacity uh, at Manchester United that also might have some say over what's going on at Nice. Uh, like I mentioned, you know, Nice for, for the first time in a number of years under Ineos ownership are operating very well. Uh, look likely to, to to qualify not just for Europe but potentially even make it into the Champions League, uh, you know. So it would be a shame in that respect, uh, you know, for for them to perhaps have to suffer for what has been, uh, you know, an opportunity that that Ratcliffe has decided to to seize upon. But equally, uh, at the same time, uh, you know, there are these rules, these these 
strict rules that are getting even stricter year on year, uh, you know, that have to be abided by. Um, and, you know, United, like anybody else, will have to provide, uh, you know, clear and detailed responses regarding the involvement of uh, of some of the, these people. And, you know, bringing on somebody, you know, of Ashworth's calibre, it does suggest that, um, you know, Manchester United might potentially see themselves as capable of, of sort of running or this operation running two very high quality football clubs uh, in the future. Uh, ben, from your point of view, do you expect the Ashworth scenario to be sorted out pretty quickly at Newcastle? Uh, Eddie Howe saying he wanted it done and dealt with to clearly not affect what's going on in the pitch. It is a, um, you know, something rumbling on in the background that could go on for a while. And he would like it to be sorted out pretty quickly. Yeah, I mean, Dan Ashworth's been placed on gardening leave. You don't do that and then let it linger. The gardening leave may linger as far as Ashworth and Manchester United are concerned, but Newcastle won't want him as a club employee and still effectively not having any final agreement with Manchester United. It's not in their interest. So this is about club-to-club negotiation. I expect it to move very quickly. There's a likelihood of a compromise, I think, whereby... Manchester United are prepared to wait, but not necessarily 20 plus months. And remember, the timing isn't ideal because even if it was 12 months, due to the fact that that's 12 months from late February, it takes you into February 2024, which means that two windows are missed. And I think Manchester United's priority, from what I'm told, is don't miss two windows. So summer is ideal. And to do that, they may have to pay in excess of £20 million, which is astonishing. And up there with fees that Newcastle were looking for for Miguel Almiron or Callum Wilson or Kieran Trippier. And this is modern football now where names like Dan Ashworth have that kind of worth. And Newcastle, of course, if they are to reduce or remove the gardening leave, want as much as possible. Middle ground is probably you miss the summer, but you start on September the 1st and then can build towards January. And if Jason Wilcox, for example, comes in, Ineos may be prepared to wait. And then there is a contractual release, but that comes with the full gardening leave. And as a result, it's such a long time that I would expect Ineos to pay a little bit more and try and reduce that. So yes, we hear Newcastle are going to be bullish, and that's true. But I also think Manchester United are prepared to wait a little bit if they have to. And that's why I think the reality of Ashworth's very likely move to Manchester United will be somewhere between being able to start in summer and having to wait for that 20 plus months. And logically, September the 1st might be a halfway house that is within Manchester United's budget and gets them their man a little bit sooner than the contractual gardening leave. Let's get back to uh, PSG, though. Uh, JJ, tell me what you think their philosophy is now. They're, they've clearly got rid of the Galacticos that didn't quite work. Messi's gone, Neymar's gone. Now Mbappe's about to go. Um, where does that leave them? I mean, the rebuild has started already, but what is their philosophy now? I mean, I think it's quite clear their philosophy. You look at the influx of uh, French players and certainly players who hail from sort of in and around the Paris area. And it's clear that in the future, they're going to build more towards that. We know that they've got the phenomenal new campus uh, based in uh, Poissy, which, you know, logically suggests they're going to rely more heavily on talent that comes through the youth academy. I mean, you look at some of the players that they can bring in for, for next season. And I know that he's not a French talent, but technically Xavi Simon's despite being a Netherlands international, made his professional debut with PSG, so technically counts as a homegrown talent. And I think sort of putting him front and centre the way that he has been performing with uh, RB Leipzig this season, that's something that PSG will certainly look to sort of add to this developing uh, identity that they're, they're bringing on. Uh, and I think they'll look to have some stability as well, you know, it seems like every year for the last couple of years, there's been speculation about, you know, the future of the manager. Uh, you know, everybody seems quite happy with the direction that Luis Enrique is taking PSG at this moment in time. Sure, there's, you know, a bit of nitpicking about him perhaps not quite being settled on his 
preferred starting 11, notably in the Champions League games. But other than that, I think people are very happy with the fact that he is a very uh, youth-focused uh, tactician uh, and he's somebody who's got uh, you know a significant uh, amount of experience as well, notably in winning the Champions League with Barcelona back in uh, nearly 10 years ago now. So I think PSG will feel like it's more a question of making slight tweaks and perhaps taking opportunities where they present themselves than necessarily going all the way out there and blowing the budget on a on a massive name. You know, I do think there's a lot of truth uh, to the speculation regarding Lenny Euro, uh, Chevalier as well at uh, at Lille, two fantastic young French talents who you know PSG are paying great attention to at this moment in time. So it wouldn't surprise me if they actually swoop for two, if not you know, not just necessarily one of those two top talents. But like I said, um, you know, there can be other opportunities that are not necessarily on the radar right now that PSG react to. But in terms of what I think PSG will continue to build towards in future, it's very much, uh, you know, built on the the building blocks that have already been put in place by Luis Campos. Uh, and that is to sort of build around this French core of this uh, this team now that Luis Enrique is putting together. Uh, and the irony, of course, would be that they, they could be more successful. They wouldn't have the big names, but they may be more successful as a team than the, when they were the Galacticos and, and they had the biggest names of all in, in world football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really is the the hope because, you know, sort of taking it back to what we discussed earlier and the, the situation regarding Mbappe and sort of the loyalty bonus, it's kind of similar to the situation that we saw, uh, you know, Neymar in when he was leaving Barca for PSG uh, and eventually got taken to court. I think that's why Mbappe and PSG worked so hard sort of behind the scenes to come to that agreement that protects all the parties. Because at the end of the day, uh, you know, when you're dealing with the, you know, some of the biggest names in, in football and you know, not just the players, but the brands as well. Uh, you know, it gets very, very messy. And I think PSG have been fatigued over the years by dealing with that, not just with Mbappe, but like you said, with Neymar, uh, with Messi. And then before that as well, a much less problematic, but the likes of Thiago Silva, uh, you know, Angel Di Maria as well. PSG have had some of the biggest names in the modern game, uh, you know, come through and play their football at Parc des Princes. So I think that they are now looking forward to embracing the project that people have been calling out for them to do for years, which is focus on the domestic talent that they have under their nose. Because you look at the amount of times that PSG have been haunted in Europe by a player that's come through their youth academy or started their career in Paris. And it's, you know, it's something that I think PSG finally sat up and really took notice of. Certainly in 2020 in the Champions League final, potentially the biggest moment for PSG in their European footballing history. And who denies them Champions League glory? Kingsley Coman, who came through PSG's youth academy. Yeah, it's uh, it's an irony that was not lost in Paris at, at the time. But Ben, uh, these big names leaving league, uh, how will the league as a whole, do you feel, um, take it? Bearing in mind those big names are not there and and the pressure as ever from from other leagues to dominate the headlines. Yeah, I think naturally, maybe particularly for broadcasters outside of France, the appeal of Mbappe, as superficial as it may sound, was massive in the same way that there's added interest in Saudi Arabia because of new stars and there's increased global interest in MLS because of Lionel Messi. So sometimes you get a situation where a star or series of stars become the selling point. And interestingly, as we speak, the rights packages for the next cycle in Ligue 1 are being negotiated. So Mbappe's future being clearly away from France, you could argue has an impact. But I think broadcasters would probably give a slightly different logic and maintain that, number one, they're planning for all eventualities. And number two, you're not buying a season and you're not investing only for the now. You're taking yourself through to a long enough period that it was always likely that Mbappe, whether he extended or not at PSG, wouldn't be part of Ligue 1 at the end of the cycle. And then if you renew, you're adding in likelihood another four years. And at that stage, you've got a player that is ultimately in his 30s. So broadcasters are not one season centric and they won't be surprised, in my view, by the departure of Kylian Mbappe. And therefore, I don't really think that it will affect the negotiation significantly. Maybe if you're smart and we're being very cynical, you sort of ask for some kind of Mbappe exit discount. But I would have thought that all offers have factored that in. So it's very easy to create a headline and say Mbappe leaving damages all of Ligue 1. I'm not so sure. 
I think what, in inverted commas, damages League On in terms of getting that big money is exactly the same as the Bundesliga and La Liga. You need a competitive league where all teams are strong and stars are evenly distributed. And if possible, localized stories exist. And that might be because you bring an American to League One and then you go and sell it in America. Or it might be because as you're a French league, you start English language output. And I think a lot of the top five leagues in Europe are trying to do this in order to play into the World Cup in 2026, all the way through to ultimately a World Cup in Saudi Arabia in 2034. So if your league on and French is your primary language, you have to think about English, you have to think about Spanish in Central and South America, you have to think about Arabic potentially, and all of these things need to be more unified. So JJ, you may have different thoughts, but my feeling is league on doesn't hinge upon either Messi or Neymar or Mbappe. They help because they're a window in, but the long-term sustainability to get the global audience with these rights holders, particularly those outside of France, is by having a stable league, a competitive product, and way, way, in the case of League One, less politics. And if the politics can be removed and all teams can grow, and to do that, you have to have a willingness for people to maybe work a bit more centralised or in a unified way, and should that happen, the league can grow and the league can thrive, regardless of whether or not they have Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as well, we have to look at this potentially as an opportunity for Liga. Now, I know people will probably hear that and think, oh, he's crazy. Uh, you know, how can you talk about the future of Liga without Kylian Mbappe? But the danger as well is building your future, conditioning it around Kylian Mbappe so that the day that he's no longer there, whether that's because of, you know, age or because of, you know, through injury or whatever, you know, if you you know, rely on one single player, not just for a club, but for the entire league itself. That is a big, big risk. And I think now is the opportunity for Ligue 1 to prove that it is sort of more than just PSG. It's more than just Mbappe. You know, it is, uh, you know, a, a very attractive league that produces some of the top talents. It's not branded, you know, the, the league of talents for, for nothing. And you do have some very exciting prospects coming through at the moment. I mean, even just looking amongst Mbappe's teammates at PSG at this moment in time, Warren Zaire, Emery, Bradley Barker, has you know started to find his feet as well there's plenty of reasons to be excited about it and going back to the situation i mentioned earlier about the the southern coast of france you've got a couple of really big potential properties on the market this summer you know depending on who potentially comes in there those clubs can be turned into competitors for psg and then suddenly we're talking about more than just league being uh, you know dominated by the club from the capital but potentially having uh, you know a handful of clubs that can duke it out season after season uh, and the one thing that we have I've learned, if, if nothing else, from French football over the last couple of decades is that there will always be a new star. OK, perhaps they might not shine as brightly as Kylian Mbappe at his very peak, but, um, you know, P Ligue 1 uh, and, you know, perhaps even PSG themselves, uh, you know, are likely to sort of possess, you know, the next sort of stars, uh, you know, the other top European clubs are going to cover it at some point in the very near future. Uh, if not already, you know, like I said, Zaya Emery, one of the hottest properties across uh, Europe uh, at this moment in time. So I think there's a lot of reasons to feel optimistic. But of course, going back to what Ben said, you know, there has to be a clear defined strategy behind that. And, you know, I think the the LFP, uh, you know, and the decision makers now have to embrace that because, you know, losing Mbappe doesn't necessarily mean, uh, you know, that the project has, uh, the product has been completely cheapened. If anything, it's a chance to really um, you know, rejuvenate the product, sell it in a different way, uh, you know, and potentially open up to different markets as well. Yeah, yeah, and and different investors potentially. But uh, Ben, look, you you've monitored a lot of the US market coming into mm. the UK and elsewhere, and whether the 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 French clubs um, that are available for purchase at the moment that that becomes an interesting prospect or even a um, a viable prospect for them. And then if if the Americans are coming into the league, who else might come into the league on sort of the player front that would spice up what is already there? Yeah, I think what we have is a willingness of investors to see the opportunity, but also the challenge of league on. So Arctos have come into PSG. 
and that is minority investment, but they will drive the either development of the Parc de Prance if PSG can buy it or a new stadium. Then we know that Marseille and Monaco are both up for sale in different capacities. Marseille, some will tell you 100%, others will say Frank McCourt doesn't want to sell, but increasingly we feel like there might be new ownership there. And there's been links for a couple of years with various Saudi Arabian investors. And then Monaco is kind of formally up for grabs minus the royal shares. And that's Rain Group, the same group that ran the Manchester United sale process. And I think that unlike a Premier League club, the challenge in France is that you're not necessarily, or in most cases anyway, buying a team that owns their stadium or with the same infrastructure, such as training facilities. And this is why PSG have slowly but surely tried to rectify that and why they're pushing to either buy the Parc de France or find a completely new stadium. So that's the challenge with foreign investment. It's not overnight going to give you some war chest and change your infrastructure because foundationally, a lot of the French clubs are miles behind the Premier League ones in terms of what they own and how they've developed. And this is also why the league needs to play catch up in many ways if it's going to compete with some of the other big clubs and in particular the Premier League. Names will help, but you could argue they kind of paper over the cracks as well. And what we know, as Fabrizio mentioned, is that PSG are going to put their savings on Mbappe and either a loyalty bonus that he foregoes or anything he gives them towards the summer. And they'll have a striker, a central midfielder and a centre-back all coming in. We know that Victor Osimhen is a target, but my sources still indicate that Premier League is the most likely destination. If we're looking at younger names that are a bit less developed than Osimhen, Benjamin Sesko could be one to watch because he's been admired by PSG for quite some time. And Rafa Liao, who's got this huge 170 million euros release clause, is there as well and on PSG's list. And then Marcus Rashford is a very interesting name because PSG tried for him in 2022 and they held talks again in summer 2023 prior to Rashford extending at Old Trafford. And at the moment, Manchester United fans might be divided. They may feel that Rashford leaving is something that actually, and surprisingly, if you'd have asked them a year ago, they might embrace. But I think it will be the opposite and Rashford will be committed to this new Ineos-led project at Manchester United. But if the player camp was to indicate and almost reach out to PSG and say he's available and he wants the move, then PSG will consider but they won't kind of waste their time driving that move because when they last held conversations with the Rashford camp, they felt like they were being used as part of a game to gain leverage with Manchester United prior to Rashford extending at Old Trafford. Midfield-wise, Fabrizio kind of covered it, Bernardo Silva, Bruno Guimaraes, and then I think there's a range of defenders that PSG could go for, but centre-backs in particular... And we'll kind of have to wait and see what direction they move in there. We know that they like, for example, Lenny Yoro. Jonathan Tarr is another name that I'm told they've looked at in the past. And then a new name, which is quite interesting, not that they've advanced anything, but Levi Colwell is a player that PSG and also Liverpool are very, very vaguely, and I stress very, very vaguely, tracking. And the reason for that is because Chelsea have got no interest in selling. Colwell at the moment's got no interest in leaving. But flash forwards, let's say a year maybe, and it is probably one for summer 2025, not 2024, if he either is still playing left back and not regular centre-back, if he feels that his England chances are being impacted by a Chelsea project that maybe is changing their managers or doesn't have Champions League football, something could change in the future. And this is not to fuel Colwell out speculation because right now Chelsea would laugh off any offers and so would Levi Colwell. So there's a real commitment to make it work at Chelsea. But if in a year these variables all happen in a way that doesn't help Chelsea, then of course their star names are going to start to be open to possibilities. And that's why you always monitor the situation and you always maintain relationships on the player camp just in case a window of opportunity presents itself in the future. And Liverpool are doing that and PSG are doing that as well. I wanted to round up, um, JJ, whether you think that, that PSG can be a more successful club without Mbappe. 
I mean, I think in terms of a successful club, I think PSG, uh, we should recognise, have already done a very, very good job of being a successful club in terms of what they do away from the pitch. I think sort of what we're focusing on here with the question is, can PSG be more successful on the pitch? And in measuring that, I guess we have to ask, can they be more competitive in Europe? And I do think that they can. I mean, I think that they can be competitive right now, uh, given the way that the team is set up, how it's performing form-wise. Let's not forget the last time that they lost across any competition at this moment in time was back in November. Uh, you know, they do have that first leg lead against Real Sociedad. So I'm standing by my guns. I think that uh, I, I think that PSG are going to enjoy a good season. Obviously, we know now it's going to be their final one with Mbappe as well. Uh, you know, but I do think that they could still go on a deep run uh, in Europe, but sort of looking forward more to the long term. Obviously, when you free yourself um, in terms of sort of um, the, the the salary commitment uh, to keeping someone like Mbappe, you know, immediately having that off the books and being able to use, uh, you know, different um uh, funds in different positions. I think long-term PSG could be turned into a more competitive uh, outfit in terms of certainly how they perform in Europe. I think it would be good to see. Uh, you know, I, I think it's an interesting time of the year because I don't think there are, apart from Man City, you'd say, um, there are any dominant forces in Europe. Um, and you look at Bayern's form at the moment. Uh, we haven't actually um, said that why not Harry Kane to PSG because he's still clearly not going to find a trophy in, in Munich at the moment. So he's, his, hunt, his hunt for silverware goes on. <laughs> I think Kane, honestly, will stick it out for now, but he'll return to the Premier League. If not, I wouldn't discount Chelsea breaking their model age-wise and still coming in for him. PSG always put off Kane. We have no real indication as to why compared to Bayern. But yeah, he could end up ironically moving to Bayern to win silverware. Spurs might get silverware somehow. And Harry Kane won't. No, that, but that's fancy I think football. It probably is fancy football, yeah. <laughs> coming back, though, to Mbappe, just my, my final thoughts are that PSG have such dominance in the local market that they don't need Mbappe for anything other than the Champions League. And to win the Champions League, usually you need a team rather than an individual star. And this, for me, has always been PSG's problem, that they've gone through Champions Leagues where the stars have shone and then at some point in ultimately what is a knockout tournament after the group stages they've underperformed or they've thrown something away and then they build again without necessarily having depth or balance. It's always star first, balance second. And I think Manchester City won the last Champions League, yes, with stars, but because of balance. And I think Bayern, when they've had success in European football, exactly the same. I think the great Manchester United teams, like the one under Alex Ferguson that came back and beat Bayern late, Again, they had balance. You might talk about a star, but if you name your favourite players and moments from that campaign, you probably have seven, eight, nine different players that you mention at different points. Whereas it always feels like Mbappe or Neymar or Messi had to perform for PSG to actually succeed. And if they had an off day or if somebody else just performed really well, they were out, which is a risk. I think if you had a Super League with PSG, across 30 games, a team with Mbappe in it leading might actually get you over the line. But in a knockout competition, it's a lot harder, in my opinion. So I think PSG are, of course, taking a risk by revamping and being very youth-led without Mbappe. It may take time. But if they can get balance and if they can get a core of committed players that work together collectively better than in years gone by then without Mbappe, they might still stand a better chance of winning the Champions League. You might be right, Ben. Um, we will see how they fare with um, Mbappe for the rest of the season, three or more months or so as a big farewell, and then how they fare afterwards when, as we presume, he will be uh, at Real Madrid with Carlo Ancelotti, which would be um, nice for him. Um, thank you, both of you. Merci beaucoup. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure, uh, thoroughly enjoyable. Um, Jonathan Johnson and Ben Jacobs, great to have you with us. And um, uh, thank you for listening to The Debrief this week. We are, of course, back next week with our transfer guru, Fabrizio Romano. And we will look forward to talking to you then. Bye-bye.